1983 film Bad Boys, starring Sean Penn, is one of our favorites in the prison movie genre, and it is celebrating a 40th anniversary this year. Directed by Rick Rosenthal, and also starring Ali Sheedy, Esai Morales, and Clancy Brown, Bad Boys tells the story of Mick O'Brien, a young Chicago street kid whose life in small crime lands him in a brutal juvenile facility. Mick quickly learns that life in juvie is even worse than life on the streets. In our playback review, we discuss the actor's performances and the sure-footed direction by Rosenthal, the film's gritty portrayal of prison culture, and this being the breakout role for Penn, establishing him as a serious young actor in Hollywood. We close things out by ranking bad boys against other prison films like Escape from Alcatraz, The Longest Yard, and The Shawshank Redemption. Watch out for Viking and Tweety. Don't let them catch us slipping. And thanks for listening to our playback review of the 1983 prison film, Bad Boys. But, um, yeah, man, I was, I was, I was really surprised as well at just how good it was. And, you know, so, cause sometimes you just never know. And th this is, this is another one of those occasions where the movie comes out in, in 83, mm. but it feels more like the seventies. I was, I was, even some of the musical yep. choices, like yeah. when, uh, when Tweety leaves prison, it's hey, like, but that, I was jamming to that shit. I, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but like they were playing like the, uh, Ashford and Simpson yeah. and Little River Band and, uh, and a few other things. I was like, okay. This, yeah, this Billy is, Squire. Billy Squire, yeah. yeah. So it definitely felt like 70s as opposed to uh, to 80s. But man, just thrilling and suspenseful and edgy and mm -hmm. gritty and in your face and unapologetic in terms of the, the prison culture and the violence and the brutality. And given the fact that it's young men in these roles too. Right. I, I almost would say that this is the type of movie that could, even with the culture that we have, couldn't be made today. You know, they would find some way to like, oh, let's find some redemption in here. Doesn't have to be so tough. If they try to make it today, they would try to find that angle. You know what I'm saying? Probably so. Yeah. Um, and, and then also too, um, like I was reading the writer of the, the guy who wrote the script, he didn't do any research. He just had a vague understanding of the prison system, et cetera, and, you know, juvie. It's technically not prison, it's ju juvie, but mm -hmm. um, he just had a vague understanding of it, and he just wrote his script. And then he did research afterwards and found out mm. that he was pretty much spot on in terms of what he expected to be happening in there versus what actually was happening. Yeah. Um, and so, but, and, and even then, you know, they were, you know, like the director, Rick Rosenthal, he was saying that, you know, he read the script and he was like, I can't do this. this you know, there's just no redeeming value in any of this. Because even then, he was looking for that. Mm -hmm. And he just found himself at odds. And then he uh, he got to the end and it did do some rewrites on the script. Mm. And then they, he said, you know, and then, you know, then he signed on and he was, he was good. But And, you know, the redeeming quality about it, it seemed like they, the movie was so overbearing. It's like mid part, and we'll get into this in the conversation, mm -hmm. it's like, Halfway through the movie, there's a part that's a difference between the TV version of Bad Boys and this theatrical version that actually makes the TV version flow a bit better. The part where they break, where they break out mm -hmm. and they run and make a break for it, mm -hmm. all of that is cut out on the TV version. It is? All of that. It wasn't until I saw the theatrical version, like years later, because I, I had grown up with this on TBS. You know what I'm saying? Bad Boys, 7.35, 8 p.m., only on TBS. Only on TBS. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had always only seen the TV version. But yeah, when I saw the real version, I was like, they actually... Yeah, yeah. And then, not only when they catch Sean Penn, they take him to the big boys' prison. The on his way back prison. to Juvia. Yeah, they, they show him, hey. Yeah. This is what it's waiting for if you try that again. This is the major leagues. Exactly. Yeah. You know, as if to have like an after after school special type of thing to it. It was like, hey now, hey kids, don't <laughs> if you want to avoid this fate, don't do that shit in the street. But but the thing about it is, like now, like if you think about now, mm -hmm. you know, people who are under the age of eighteen get charged as adults all the time. 
These are guys who had killed people. Mm -hmm. Horowitz killed three people firebombing a bowling alley. Yep. You know, uh, Sean Penn's character killed uh, a 10 or 8, 9 or 10-year-old kid, you know, fleeing from the cops after a a bloody gunfight where his boy gets blown away. Mm -hmm. You know, these are killers and and robbers and And thieves and rapists. And it's like, God. But at the same time, you know, once they turn 18... I guess that's it, or you know, whatever. The, I guess whatever their time is, sentences, or if they turn eighteen first. Damn. Even though freaking uh, Viking and Tweety look like they were thirty years that's old. Dang, they've been in there since It's like high school where they just they can't graduate. They stuck in senior years. Like, hey, how long have you been a singer? Senior, like five years. <laughs> You're twenty four. <laughs> Dang, that's hilarious. That was crazy. That was the crazy part. The craziest part to me. I was like, wow, these dudes look. I guess Clarence Brown, I mean, excuse me, Clancy Thanks. Brown has always looked like a 40 year old. He's just always yes. looked like a grown ass man. Yeah. You know, he's got those really def- defined, chiseled features, the cheekbones, mm-hmm. and, you know, and uh, and the fact that his name was Viking Lofgren. Man. It's like, okay. Damn. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, Viking automatically kind of uh, implies, you know, raping and pillaging, which he, <laughs> which he was obviously, yes. you know, that he, was, he, he was about, you know, yeah. that life. But, um, but yeah, man, um, I'm trying to think the first time I ever saw Bad Boys and was probably on cable. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it at, I believe at Vince's house. Once again, yes. yeah. Once again, because he had cable and right. I didn't have any cable, <laughs> and we were watching it, and we were, you know, and I was like, "Damn, this is this is pretty." Now, this is like my, I don't know if I was aware at what point I was aware of Sean Penn as a as a figure. He, he was probably married to Madonna at that point. Okay, this is in the eighties. So we're talking about eighty six, eighty seven. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he's well before then. Okay. So he's so he's maybe not married to Madonna at that point, but I mean I've seen Taps. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, this might have just been out. Mm-hmm. This might have just been out just a few years. But in any case, um, this really kind of cemented it for me. I was like, wow, it's a really good performance. You know, great, you know, 80s thriller, you know, um, crime thriller, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. But it's a prison movie. Yeah. Um, and it's probably one of the first, other than The Longest Shard, it's the first prison movie where I was like, I really liked it despite the subject matter. Because mm. I, I will confess to you that, and we'll get into specifics about the movie in a minute, but I typically don't like prison movies about people who are incarcerated like unjustly. Like that always bothers me because that happens in the real world. Yeah. I mean, granted, you know, you got people who are, you know, criminal pieces of shit and degenerates who deserve to be locked up. Yeah. But, you know, when you hear about, like, the movie Life with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, where it's like, okay, these guys are falsely accused and go to prison for the rest of their lives. Yeah. That's horrible. (laughs) It's horrible. Yeah. But prison movies are always fascinating, and this one is especially because of the outsiders, you know, uh, you know, our chance to see inside this institution that we hope, hopefully will never ever have to see the, you know, the inside of, you know, mm-hmm. we, can, we can see it from afar. We can get a sense of what prison culture is and the violence, and the brutality and the, the isolation and the desperation and the disconnectedness and the, um, a city, a system within a system within a system yes. buried underground almost if it feels like. And so, you know, we get to watch that, but never have to experience any of the consequences of being a part of it. And I think it's part of the reason why we're attracted to prison movies. And in this mm-hmm. one, the fact that these are teenagers and juvie and, you know, all of us, you know, shoplifted and vandalized and did something that we shouldn't have been doing when we were teenagers and possibly could have ended up in a situation, you know, maybe not quite like this, but certainly had scrapes with, you know, yeah. could have had scrapes with the law. So I think that's part of the reason why it was so fascinating to me, other than just, you know, Penn's performance, uh, Isai Morales' performance mm-hmm. as Paco. And then uh, even some of the great character actors in the movie, um, you know, this is Ali Sheedy's first first film uh, feature film. Really, her and Clancy Brown. This is their first feature film. Wow! But the other character actors, Rennie uh, Rennie Santoni, oh yeah, Jim Moody. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the kid who played Horowitz? Curdy, Kurt, Rich Curry, or Bud Curry, or something like that. I thought that was Alan something. Alan. His Alan. last name is Curry. A uh, Gurry, I think it was. Eric Gurry. Eric Gurry. Eric yes. Gurry. Eric Gurry. And um, 
And there's some other familiar faces that we, you know, we end up seeing in there. Yeah, Robert Lee Rush is Tweety. Robert Lee. Now, was he in other things? Yeah, he was in Dress to Kill. He was one of the hoods that was... Um... Of course he was one of the hoods. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the hoods that was... Uh, Hood chasing... number six. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. But, but, he, but he had such a defined face that you could pick him you out. You could pick him out. Yeah, exactly. Including the guy who gets blown away with the, some, the bald-headed guy with the sunglasses. Yes. He's been in other things, too. Mm-hmm. As Hood number three right. or Hood number four to the left or whatever, you know, whatever he's billed as but but again this came out in 1983 directed by rick rosenthal sean penn's in it isa morales clancy brown jim moody um and then also john zenda who plays i think wagner yes he plays wagner Mm. and alan ruck yes Alan Ruck, who as soon as I saw Cameron, plays, I said, Cameron, you are going to die. He plays Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck plays Alan Ruck. He plays Alan time. Ruck. He plays Alan Ruck. I mean, to the point. He was basically Cameron. Yeah. You know, if Cameron hadn't made it to, to the point where he was, because he's in the car, you know, they get ready to pull off the uh, the robbery, and it's yeah. like he's hyperventilating. I'm like, I'm like, come on, Cam. And Come on, Cam. Place, it takes place in Chicago, just like Ferris Bueller. Just like Ferris Bueller. Like an alternate reality Cameron. <laughs> what would have happened to Cameron if... Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, anyway, yeah, just just a great movie. Um, the score was uh, Bill Conti. Oh, man. And you can almost you tell. tell. It was, it you was can so tell. You can tell. It's so emotional. You can tell. The strings and just. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> for anybody who's listening, Bill Conti did the score for the Rocky movies, yeah. uh, Lean on Me, mm-hmm. Private Benjamin, yes. a bunch of stuff. He's He's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. But um, this film is about a guy named Michael O'Brien, a.k.a. Mick O'Brien. The Mick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He is a uh, like a Chicago street kid. He's involved in small crime, petty crime, violent crime in, in some mm-hmm. many cases. Uh, but he's a high school kid, and he basically ends up in a bad situation, shootout with his friend, running from the cops, ends up plowing his car into this little kid who gets killed, who's actually the little kid of, of his, kind of his rival. Yes. Uh, the little brother, excuse me, of his rival. And he finds himself in the Rainford Juvenile uh, Detention Facility, where he's got to serve out his time because he is a juvenile. He's under the age of 18. And once he gets inside there, life is even worse in there than it kind of is out on the streets, you know, to to a certain extent. And and he's trying to figure his way out uh, in terms of, you know, like Rennie Santoni's character, I think his name is Herrera. Yeah. Herrera. Herrera is trying to kind of, you know, he's like the therapist or whatever you would call him, the counselor or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he's trying to talk to him and tell him, hey, look, you know, you got to make better decisions. You got to change your life. So he's kind of at that crossroads of, you know, am I going to try to be a better person or am I not? And and the first thing he's got to do when it gets inside the juvenile facility is not get eaten alive by the sharks. Yes. And the eels that are swimming in the waters, the barracudas that are swimming in the waters, ready to devour him. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really a great movie if you have if anybody hasn't seen it. Um, this is probably my fifth or sixth time watching it. Uh, yeah. And it was super, super uh, enjoyable. I mentioned Bill Conti because while watching the movie, I love the use of congas oh, yeah. in, the, in the tension <laughs> scenes. <laughs> I love the use of Man, the Congress, yo. It was so, and that's that's another thing too, between the music and the sure-handedness of the direction. Mm-hmm. God, this was yeah. such a smoothly directed movie. Yeah, yeah. The lighting, just yeah. the. This is one of those examples when I say, like in '80s and '70s movies, those streets felt dangerous. They did, like legitimately dangerous. Like they, in the opening scene where. A woman's waiting at a stoplight. Mm -hmm. Fist crushes through the passenger side window and grabs her purse. Mm -hmm. And it's Sean Penn's character. It's Mick O'Brien. He's making his. He's running through the crowd and whatnot. Bumps into this old man. Old man chases after him into this dark alley. And you already know why. Why are you going to the dark alley? Exactly. Come on, bro. Come on. Come on. Come on. (laughs) So then Penn comes up behind him and whacks him. Okay, I got two takes for the night. Grabs his wallet. Yep. Now I got that in the purse. Good night. It's you know a good what I'm night, saying? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, man, just that opening scene alone between the lighting, um, 
that the 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 chore the choreography of the action, just mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Oh man, and the music, yeah. just yeah. Perfect yeah, storm. It, it really, really was. That opening sequence kind of lets you know who he is. Mm. And I like the way that Rosenthal, as a storyteller, he sets up the parallels of Paco's life and yes. Mick's life. And you see how their lives are overlapping. And then you see where it, the Venn diagram actually comes together and they overlap completely. Mm-hmm. And now they're at a point where it's like loggerheads and they, you know, they can't turn back. Exactly. You know, once he once Penn runs from the cops plows his car into Paco's little brother and kills him. Yeah. And then ends up in juvie. You know, then Paco's like, okay, I got to avenge, you know, my brother. So, you know, he goes after the black gang member and they they kill him. Mm -hmm. And then he goes after, eventually goes after JC, you know, Mick's girlfriend. Yes. uh, You know, brutalizes her, rapes her, Mm -hmm. um, and gets arrested. And then he ends up in Rainford with... Sean Penn's character, and they, and you know, the the Daniels, the actor Jim Moody, the actor yeah, plays Daniels, Daniels yeah. and uh, and all the all the uh, the heads, they're like, man, why is why did, why would they bring him here? Knowing you know the 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 history that these two mm-hmm. have, like they there's nowhere else for him there's to no go, room. yeah, you know, and so the pri- the keep saying prison, the juvenile facility, the the uh, the the uh, inmates there. The kids start betting on because they know these guys are going to fight each other to the death, and they like start betting who's who's your money on. My my money's on the new guy. Yeah, he's going to kill that white guy. My money's <laughs> on the new guy. My money's on Mick. You know, <laughs> and uh, and it it just becomes a real like you know we hear that we heard that term in the movie Heat Gladiator Academy, mm-hmm. and that's what it becomes. Yes, literally that, at the end. Yeah, that is what it becomes. But that opening sequence was 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 really great, and. The uh, the scene later on uh, when he's in the prison and he's being scoped out by Viking and Tweety. And he knows that Viking and Tweety are rapists and they are, mm. you know, they are bullies and and that they will brutalize him when he and I had never seen this before. So I'm watching uh, it, you know, when I was, you know, when I was a teenager. When he goes to the soda machine and gets all the sodas, okay, and he puts them in his pockets. And I'm like, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. Then he goes in his cell and he gets a pillowcase and he fills it full of the hey, look, soda. Man, there's gonna be trouble. And okay. then Tweety and uh um and, and Viking come in and they send Horowitz out and then Viking taps on his shoulder and says, Hey scumbag. Yes. Sean Penn looks over his shoulder and the camera close up on him and he boom whacks him in the face (laughs) busts his nose open and then he hits Tweety in the nuts Mm -hmm. and he's just wailing on them dudes I was like that was fire yo he beat the shit out of those guys as they deserve as they deserve as they deserve yeah and and that's the the other thing I was going to say too about that whole scene as well you are never lost with the storytelling yeah I mean dang they set that up they're on the upper tier looking down at Mick like, yeah, we're going to get your ass. Mm-hmm. Then we have to verbalize it. You just know. Mm-hmm. They waiting for And he knew. Mick mm-hmm. knew. He knew it. Prior to this particular scene, and they show you, like, when Mick is coming into prison, there's this little black kid who's sitting a few seats in front of him on the bus. Yeah. And they both come in together. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that kid's name is Terrell, and he looks like he might be 14. Yeah. Or 15. Young very yeah. young. Small, frail, kind of slight framed. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, everybody's, you know, kissing, you know, and making, you know, uh, sexually intimidating him. And you know, I want the young, cute one, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. He's getting all of that. He knows it's he knows it's coming. So he pays somebody to give him a knife. Yeah. And he's sitting in his cell one day and then Viking and, uh, Tweety. Uh, and Tweety come over there and Tweety goes in and closes the door behind him and rapes him in mm-hmm. his cell. And then when he comes out, the kid jumps, runs out of the cell with his knife and attacks him. You motherfuckers, you fag. <laughs> Tries to cut him. And then Tweety grabs him, breaks his arm, picks him up, and just throws him over the thing. And he just hits the concrete. Bam. Yeah. And so that's when Mick knew, okay, if they did this to this kid, they're going to definitely come after me next. Right. But- and when all the inmates 
our question, did anybody see anything? Who the, did this? They of course, all, mom's the word. Yeah, I was sleep. You know, it's the code. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be a snitch because literally in, snitch, in prison, snitches will get you stitches. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but they think Mick told something. Right. You know. So they're going to so they're going to get him. Mm-hmm. But, but he beats the shit out of Viking and Tweety, who are known as the barn bosses in, right. in, the, in the juvenile facility. And then Horowitz, who is Mick's, you know, his his cellmate. Tells him, okay, now you're the barn boss. You're the, you're it. Mm-hmm. And so now Mick starts running the juvenile facility, and then as things move on, it's just great. Yes. It's just really great. And again, you get to see this system within a system and what you know, what has currency in there, what doesn't, what has power, what gives you power, what doesn't give you power, mm-hmm. how fleeting the power is. As soon as Mick becomes the barn boss and starts like running shit and kind of smelling himself, yeah. then you know, it's no sooner than that, as soon as Paco enters the yep. prison. Paco's, you know, running with Viking again, and now it's, you know, and everybody's everybody's ready for Mick to be dethroned and for Paco to become the new barn exactly. boss. Exactly. Like, just that fast. Mm-hmm. You know, just that fast. You know what had me laughing, though? The way that Viking and Paco, <laughs> they, they, they started at odds and they teaming up with each other like super villain team up. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He killed my brother. He was like, no, I want him. He's mine. It, it was like, um, like <laughs> you're exactly right. It was like a, like a super, let's, an alliance? An alliance. Right. <laughs> you know, they do that handshake exactly. where you grab the whole. <laughs> Might as well be a splash page with like a starburst behind him. <coughs> Allies. <brothers>. Allies. Exactly. <laughs> we have a common enemy. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, there were things about that movie that I was just like, man. They are trying to um, expose certain points, certain facts about these young men. Like the fact that a lot of them are illiterate. A lot of right, them like, right. very much do not have any education. Right. Very little, I should say. Like, like couldn't read past the third grade level. Exactly. Like, so that's why I love that scene where they're in the classroom. and um, Daniels. Daniels, thank you, is telling them. He's like, hey. You know, read this paragraph, just to kind of sense where they are. Mm-hmm. You know, and you see, even when Viking tries to read it, him and um, Tweety are trying to help read it together. It's, it's pri- pri- primordial, 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 ah, whatever. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that was great. And the only one who could read was Horowitz. Right. He's like one of those um, kids who has a very high IQ, but unfortunately waylaid it. Doing mischief that turned murderous. Right. You know what I'm saying? One of those type of things. Horowitz is pretty much like the caretaker character in The Longest Yard, Mm. where he's smarter and he's more charming than everybody else, but still definitely deserves to be locked up. He he is a menace to himself and he's a menace to society, no pun intended. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you have that aspect. And then also the movie starts out with... Pictures, baby pictures of these guys. And I think all of them are actual pictures Those are. of them. Yeah, I confirm. Yeah, they exactly. are. They're the actual pictures of the actors when they were kids. Yeah. yeah, so I thought, man, that was a great way to start this yeah. off. Because it the movie's called Bad Boys, but they weren't always bad boys. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, you have to remember that they were born. They weren't born into this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But they became this way by their you know, social environment or mm-hmm. by their behaviors or what have you. Yeah. But they weren't always like that. Right, you know right, right. Saying? They didn't come out of the womb, you know, as psychopaths and sociopaths. Yeah. It's just, you know, exactly something that developed. But um, let's talk a little bit about the actors in the movie, man. Sure. Uh, particularly like, you know, Sean Penn. Oh, man. Um, again, this is his this is his breakout role. Mm. Prior to this, he had only done taps yep. in Fast, Fast Times, Times at this point. Yeah. So this was the really the role that let people know that he was a serious young actor, that he was uh you know he was a force to be reckoned with. He was a contender for it. Mm-hmm. Um, has been called the greatest actor of his generation, which would include people like you know Kevin Bacon and mm. um uh Rob Lowe, Tom Cruise, uh Swayze. Yeah. Machio, Ralph Machio. Basically the whole cast of the outside. Basically the whole cast of the outside. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, and um but it really established Penn as a really serious young actor. And then after this, you know, we see other we see him do other things. Yeah. Obviously, um at close range with mm. Christopher Walken and and then some hits and misses, Shanghai surprise or Shanghai something or other and <laughs> 
Uh, you know, he he's had some he's made some goofy choices. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but is considered a really fine actor, mm-hmm. uh, and this was the role that really cemented it. And he kind of shed his Jeff Spicoli, mm. you know, you know the that Jeff Spicoli passed with this role. Like, you know, he, he could have easily been like he probably got offered a hundred stoner roles after Fast Times at oh, Ridgemont yeah. High, mm-hmm. but you know he. You know he stayed the course, and and this movie set him set him on the path for for all the great things that we know him to have been in mm-hmm. uh, after this. But what was your relationship with Ali Sheedy uh, at the time you saw this movie? You obviously had probably seen her in other things, Saint Almost Fire and Breakfast Club, uh, Short Circuit, Short Circuit, yeah, yeah Short Circuit, <laughs> Johnny Five still alive, but <laughs> yeah, um, with Sheedy, I'd seen her because again, you know. I seen Short Circuit when I was six. This is 1986. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I saw that at the movies. But also, growing up with TBS, they played war games all the time. That's what I remembered mm-hmm. it from in a big way was war games in the Breakfast Club. And thank you. Yeah, because those Club. always played on TBS. Mm-hmm. So that's why I knew her from. And then when they started showing Bad Boys on TBS, mm-hmm. and I was oh okay. But again, this being TBS, they didn't show you. They they cut out some of them they more. Had the sex scene, the, the romantic scenes where they were in her bedroom. That was cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, the the rape under the train tracks that was cut out. Mm. It was it was abbreviated, I should say. Like you didn't even get into his boy getting shot and all that. It was just like they tracked her down, and then next thing we know, Look, Paco's in <laughs> and juvie. he's in juvie. Yeah. This is the thing about those edited versions for television. It is a wonder that any of us thought that movies made sense because of all the things that they cut out. Like those are all critical story beats mm-hmm. that help you emotionally get to where you're going and by you know excising them from the uh from the 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 the, the, the broadcast versions, you don't really get a sense of exactly what's happening, the weight of it, the gra- the gravity of it. And what the stakes are, you know, by taking that stuff out, you know. Yeah, but like I said, as a kid, I had seen it so many times during my childhood. Like I just kind of knew, okay, he did something to. Um, you filled in the gaps yourself, and it's crazy how you can do that. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. you know what I'm saying. And it was just like, oh, okay, that's what happened. All right, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's where I knew Ali Sheedy mostly from. Okay, you know what I'm saying. And I'm surprised that this was her first role, because man, I tell you what, though. When she has to identify Paco at the police station. That was great. Oh, my God. First of all, when you see how beat up she is yes. after she, like, she, her face is bloody hamburger. Yes. And she's talking to the uh, the uh, the female cop who's saying, hey, you know, you need to go, you know, you need to go ahead and, and, and file charges against this guy. Don't let him, this animal do this to someone else. Mm-hmm. And you see how women in that situation could be torn by, I don't want to relive this in front of a jury, in front of a bunch of strangers. I don't want to have to tell this story over and over and over again. Yeah. I don't want people asking me, well, what were you doing out at night? Or, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and making all these assumptions. You know what I'm saying? You see how precarious a position it puts women in and why so many women don't come forward yeah. when this thing, this kind of thing happens. And the other thing, too, is, is when it comes to rape, rapes are... M- most rapes are committed by familiars. Yeah, it's not a, somebody with a ski mask jumping out of an alleyway and, and, and raping you. It's usually somebody you know mm-hmm. that this happens to, which makes it even more worse and hard. Worse yeah. and hard for somebody to talk about, you yeah. know, because it's not like a violent stranger. It's it is someone that they know. But and then when she sees it, like you said, they do the lineup. They line mm-hmm. up like six, uh, five or six Latino guys, all about the same age, dark hair, dark features, of course. Yeah. And they turn your backs or whatever. And they, I can't imagine that they would ever have done it this way, where you are face to face with your rapist. Mm-hmm. You know, you would be behind glass or at least behind right. a curtain where they wouldn't see you. Okay, number one, turn around, and face me. What's your name? Teodoro Aparicio. Where do you live? 1872 South Racine. How old are you? 17. And she and she says, No, that's not him. That's not him. And then Paco turns around. Paco Moreno, I live in. That's him. 
No, no, no. Hold no, on, hold, hold on. on. What's your address? I live 14 cities. No, no, that's, that's him. him. That's him. That's the guy who raped me. That's him. That's mm-hmm. him. That was awesome. Yeah. Awesome acting, man, for for a young actor. I mean, just exactly. a, a novice, so to speak. Yeah. And, and, and the way that um, Moreno, uh, Isai Morales' character, that's exactly what he wanted, too. Right. He was like, that. yeah, this is what I want. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Not only do I get revenge on Mick, but I want to go there so I can face this punk in, in jail. Right. 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 You know what I'm saying? Right. So it was just, man. Yeah. It's, it, it, the whole movie just seems inexorable. Like, it's going to come to this confrontation. Yeah. Like, the whole story is pushing them together. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. And, and like, again, you see these, if you could see, you know, my arms outstretched, <laughs> these parallel lives in the beginning that are close, but they're not touching. Mm-hmm. And then as they get close and close, they t- and then eventually they touch. And like I said, they reach that that boiling point. That, yes. You know, that, uh, that detonation that you're you know is inevitably going to happen. But mm-hmm. um, I thought about something. So Isai Morales yeah. has had a long career as a, as a character actor, and he's done some lead things and yeah. smaller things. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was in this. Of course, he was in La Bamba. He was in um, – he's he plays Deathstroke Determinator, uh, Slade Wilson, in the Titans TV show. Get out. Really? No. he's Yes, he plays Deathstroke Determinator. Oh, wow. Complete with the outfit and everything. Wow. And he's also in Ozark. He was in the first season of Ozark. Oh. He played a cartel uh, guy in, in the first season of Ozark. He's had a long career, and yes. he's had pretty steady. But I thought about something while I was watching this movie. What's up? Again, interesting parallels. Uh-huh. Not great, but interesting. <laughs> Sean Penn has been in two movies where at, out of an act of like revenge, his girlfriend has been raped. Mm. It happened in this, mm-hmm. and it kind of happened in at close range. His father rapes right. his, his girlfriend to make her stay away from his son or whatever. You're right. You're I was right. like, God damn. So I'm like, that was a weird. How's this happened twice within like six <laughs> years? And then the same thing with Paco uh with uh with Isai Morales. He's played two roles, two well-known roles in movies where his brother dies and his mother blames him. Damn. It happens in this movie Wait, and in La Bamba. <laughs> <laughs> Richie died. It should have been you. <laughs> Mama. It should have been you. <laughs> I was like, wow. Dang, that's, that's good. Man. That's messed up. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, and I also wanted to just kind of touch a little bit on uh, 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 Rennie Santino. Mm. Who was? Who was? Uh, what was his name in Dirty Harry? I forgot his name. No, no, it was uh, Chico. 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 Chico Gonzalez. Chico Gonzalez. <laughs> Chico Gonzalez. <laughs> yeah, he was in Dirty Harry. Yes. I was like, yeah, and he's he's he has worked pretty steadily, not not as much as everybody else. Yeah, he he's had a few roles. He was uh, he was in Cobra. Do you remember? I was going to say that he, he was, was in Cobra. Cobra. <laughs> he, he was the police chief, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was the police chief in Cobra, but uh, as soon as I saw his face, I was like, oh yeah, yeah I, I remember know you. I remember that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but we got to talk about Clancy Brown. Oh yes. So the voice. Yes. Okay, the voice. He is the Kurgan. Yes. Okay. He was in Highlander. Yes. Okay. He was also in Shoot to Kill. Yes. <laughs> he was also in Shoot to Kill. Yes. He played a prison guard in Shawshank. Of course. And he played a prison guard in The Hurricane with Denzel, I believe. I believe you're right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was the voice of Lex Luthor in Superman the Animated Series. Lex Luthor. My favorite Luthor. My yes. favorite Luthor. <laughs> anyway, excellent, excellent. And he was also in. Um, he was in uh, Blue Steel. He was in Blue Steel uh, with Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis. Curtis. Yep. And he was in. Um, uh, he shows up in that reboot of Dexter. Oh. Okay. They did the reboot of Dexter. It was just a few episodes or whatever. He shows up in that as well. And he's also the voice of Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants. That's right. He is Mr. Krabs. <laughs> he has a long career as a voice actor sure too. Does. He's, he's he's done quite a bit as a voice actor. You were talking about uh, uh, Reno, his character in Dirty Harry, Chico Gonzalez. Yeah. So that was something else that struck me was, okay, what kind of racist name is Mick O'Brien? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was like Mick, because Horowitz even calls him a Mick, huh? <laughs> you know, and Horowitz is like the. Everybody in, in prison in juvie is racist. You know, Horowitz right. is calling uh, the the Asian guy chink. Yeah, and and referring to him as a mick. 
uh, Viking calls Horowitz a good. It's a good, good little, little kike. Like, you know, it's like God damn you, boy. Yeah. Damn, yo. Yeah. Well, I was like, okay, Mick O'Brien. You know, it's like uh, Vince and I joked about it when we saw it years ago. He was like, uh-huh. okay, what's next? Jigaboo Jones. <laughs> Spick Gonzalez, Damn. you know. <laughs> you know, where did these names come from? But, but? they kind of get away with it because O'Brien's actual first name is it's Michael. Michael. It's so Michael. it's like, yeah. nye, nye, nye. Yeah. you kind of get away with it. Yeah. yeah. I would have gone with Mikey. But then that would have been too soft. You can't have him in the whole movie like, hey, Mikey. Hey, Mikey, hey. Mikey's looking for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mick Shell's like, yeah. Yeah, right. Like he's a dead-end kid. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, like he is one of the dead-end <laughs> <Yeah>. kids. <laughs> oh, man. But um, any other any other great scenes in the movie that stood out to you? Oh, man. The pivotal ones? I mean, definitely when he beats down... Uh, Oh, the Tweety and Viking. Tweety and Viking. For sure. And also, too, when they're in the classroom mm-hmm. and Daniels gives Horowitz, the only one who can read, and he gives him a newspaper clipping and he says, read the clipping. And Horowitz reads, says, yeah, some guy named Jerome Lawson, he was uh, killed in a robbery, blah, 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 yeah, blah, but, blah, but blah, blah. Who's, 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 they're like, who's, who's Jerome Lawson? Uh, and then uh, and then they st- and then somebody makes a joke. And then Viking, who has this, you know, his phrase is all screwed up. But he then. says, shut up, you guys. He says, you assholes. He says, that was Tweety. And everybody's like, oh. And Tweety, of course, got out of prison. He was mm. released. His boys picked him up in the van. Yes. You know, he's partying and, you know, whatever, and immediately goes back into a life of crime and ends up getting, you know, getting killed weeks or months later. And I like that scene because that shows that even though the whole point of going to juvie or to jail or to prison is supposedly, quote unquote, rehabilitation. Right. Very rarely are these guys rehabilitated. Right. They come back out to the only life that they knew before they went in. Right. They fall back into those old habits. Right. So you see it once when Tweety's walking out, you know what I'm saying? And they're playing it. I still love that song. You know what, what song was it? Uh, you want to be a superstar, a superstar. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Man, that's my joint, <laughs> you I love that shit. And even though I hate it, Tweety, for that second, there's a little part of you that's like, Damn, somebody actually got out of here. Right. You feel as jubilant as the other prisoners. Anyway, you see him walk out, and you're kind of just happy. Somebody left. At the time, you may think like, okay, maybe he he might do right, even though we know he's a scumbag. He's a scumbag. He's, well, that was that was the thing when he he goes out and he's got his hat. Yep. You know, he's got his hat tilted to the side. He's got his radio <laughs> yeah. and his he's got his duds on, and his yeah. boys open the panel. Hey, man, good to see you. Come oh, here, man. man. Get Come on, man. Here. Yeah. And I'm wondering when they're driving off. Tweety, did you tell him that you were a rapist in prison? <laughs> did, you, did you tell him that you took a teenage boy's ass in prison? <laughs> did you tell your boys that, huh? <laughs> and it's crazy though. And even though that was his. Reputation when they see him riding past and he's honking, he's out shooting They're birds. Like, yeah, like, yeah, motherfuckers. They're like, yeah, Tweety. Yeah. So then to have that article come up and to mm-hmm. find out, yeah, he went back and he paid for yeah, it. Yeah, he did. And it was almost, um, you know, not to get karmic or anything, but well, he got what was coming to him. He did. He did. He was a piece of shit, yeah. and he got exactly what he deserved. Mm-hmm. You know, just exactly what he deserved. That uh, I texted you, man, because we were both rewatching it on yes. yesterday during the day. That ending f- uh, fight between man. Paco and and Mick was brutal, sir. It's like, and 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 the thing is, they were so like, actually, they were so young to be that convincing. Yeah, like that looked like a blood duel. Yeah, like, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, the way it happens in the film where, you know, Paco finds out his transfer is coming in the next day. So if it's going to go down, it's got to go down tonight. So he fakes getting sick. Mm -hmm. And then when the the CO who's watching everybody comes out and and checks on him, he hits him with a pipe, locks Mm -hmm. him up in his thing or whatever. And then he goes looking for 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 Mick. Mick. And then that's when they start their fight. And he's got a homemade shiv that he's he's got. And they're fighting over that. He stabs Mick in the leg. Ah! 
ah, you know, and then they fight, and then Mick breaks away from him and gets that, uh, yeah, like that a tool. Or something. Yeah, like a tool or something, yeah. and he hits him, and then kind of, you know, breaks his arm or something like that. It is just a bloody, bloody fight. Man. And, you know, and the ending, that, and that's what I remember, that ending scene, because, you know, they shoot it where they're, you know, he's, he, he gets the best of Paco, mm-hmm. he, st- he gets the shiv, and then the camera shoots from below, and it shoots up at him with the knife holding yes. it over his head, you know, and you see him, and he's pausing, and everybody's like, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. And I'm like, damn, these guys are just yes. animals. Yes. Kill him, kill him. And then when he, stoop, and everybody goes quiet, and you say, okay, did he kill him? Is he dead? And what, everybody's what looking like the camera pans across Pans across like, the faces, and you yeah. don't see what happened. And then that profile, that uh, profile shot of, uh, of Paco, mm-hmm. and then you see him pull Paco's body away, and then he just stabbed the the shiv the into mat. the mat, yeah. and then not into his head or whatever. And it was like, mm-hmm. damn, you know. But I mean, it was just really a bloody, brutal, violent, like gritty, like mm-hmm. you could get, you could sense the sweat and the dirt and the desperation in that place. Yes, and that's. I mean, it was just, it just permeated the movie. I mean, you just, you just couldn't get away from it, but. Yes, absolutely. Um, anyway, really, really, really interesting. Um, I, uh, I had, had looked up some, uh, some trivia yeah. about the film. Um, apparently, Matt Dillon had actually auditioned for the role, hmm. the lead role. Now, at this time, Matt Dillon actually was, you know, he had a bit of a, of a name at that point. He, yeah. he was a known young actor in 83. Um, but the director thought, you know, he was too well known, mm. uh, and he had already kind of done a version of this kind of a thuggish character in uh, My Bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He'd already kind of done that, so they didn't they didn't cast him. So they ended up casting um, Penn. casting um, uh, uh, Penn? Sean Penn. Okay. But you know who else read for the role? Who? Again, this is '83. Tom Cruise <laughs> and Kevin Bacon. Damn! Again, just that whole <laughs> that whole outside is yeah. Just... But but keep in mind, neither one of them had really done anything prior yeah. to this. Mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon had done uh, Animal House, and he had done uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. Tom Cruise had only done Taps. That's right. So he wasn't known. None of them were known. So they were reading. They were all reading for the same parts. Mm-hmm. You know, and all probably yeah. passing each other in you know in the waiting rooms or whatever. <laughs> you know, all of them are yeah. trying to trying to trying to get these roles, but. <laughs> Um, the director, Rick Rosenthal, said that uh, Penn is a very good actor, obsessively so. He went into character mm. for the whole shoot and stayed there. Uh, says that um, he even had, like, the tattoo he has on his yeah. arm. He went and got an actual tattoo. Damn! You know, just, you know, so that it would be authentic. Um, he would check into hotels under the name Mick O'Brien, you know, when they would be shooting and doing reshoots and stuff. He'd check in as Mick O'Brien. Mm. He and the director rode around with the cops. Yeah, you know, did a uh, and and also visited a uh, you know juvenile facilities. Um, Penn's mother was a dental assistant, I believe, mm-hmm. and so Penn, uh, Sean, and Chris, and even uh, Michael, their other brother, the musician, Uh-oh. you know, they all have perfect teeth. Yes, you know anybody who, if you've ever known anybody who has a dentist or has a, a parent who works in. They all they have perfect teeth. Yeah, they don't play because yeah, they 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 they're not playing that at all. <laughs> and he wanted to get his teeth filed down and oh. get these 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 weird caps put on so that he would look more fucked up. And his Damn. mom was like, "No, no, no, bruh. I spent, <laughs> I spent good money. No, bruh." <laughs> but um, the scene where they are running from in the escape, where he and Horowitz, you know, use the corrosive acid, yeah, and get through the fence, and then they run for uh, run into the woods and try to escape. Yeah, Penn broke his ankle. Shooting that scene, and production shut down for three months while his ankle was healing. While you're talking about that scene, that's yeah. one scene I meant to mention. It's a great well. scene. It is. It's a it great is. scene. And it's one in here that again, this was excised from the broadcast version, mm-hmm. where they catch where Wagner catches up to Horowitz. Horowitz is falling into like this barbed wire mm-hmm. in the woods, wet night, and he tells you know O'Brien, get it, go, just, just go, go, just go, go, go. go. So. O'Brien leaves and they catch up to Horowitz and Horowitz is like, man, fuck you guys. And Wagner's like, we're making us run all this way. And he's beats smacks the, the little beats kid. Beats the crap he out beats of him. Beats the shit out of Horowitz. Yeah. And even um, Daniels is like, Wagner, what are you doing? Wagner. Get off this kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that they showed it, I mean, Wagner was tear that little boy he was. up. God. He was. He was. <laughs> Look, Daniels was cracking me up in that orange, bright orange sweatsuit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Damn, yo. Looking like the great pumpkin yeah. running across the field. Hey, <laughs> I was tripping. I was like, where you coming from? <laughs> <laughs> when they got through the fence and was taking off across the field, right? Like, he's back there with the other boys playing pickup football. He's like, hey, wait, wait a minute. Hey, hold on. <laughs> They they took off, man. They took they took the hell off. They they were out of there, they yo. Were, they dipped out of there. Yep. But uh uh two other real quick things. Um if you notice there was a point in the movie where they show a movie marquee. Yeah. And they show Halloween two is playing. Because Rosenthal directed it. Rosenthal directed yes. it. Yes, yes. Which I caught that at first. I was like, Halloween two, Halloween two. And I wasn't thinking about where I knew Rosen Rosenthal from. And then when I looked him up, I was like, Oh, he directed yeah. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and supposedly Jamie Lee Curtis has a brief cameo in the beginning of the movie. I went back and looked. When I read that, I went uh, back and looked for it. And I couldn't find her. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out now. I okay. couldn't find her. But, you know, apparently she was friends with uh, Rosenthal. with Rosenthal after after Halloween 2. Uh, and also, you know, she had worked with, uh, I think, John Zenda was uh, in Halloween 2. The guy who played Wagner. Yeah. yeah, I believe he was in Halloween 2 as well, Damn. right? Damn, okay. I, believe, I know that's what your least favorite of... Well, you only have one favorite of the Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. There's, There's only, only one. one. Like Highlander. It's like Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's funny, though, that, that you mentioned Halloween, too, even in that regard. And that does account for some of the um, the lighting and the mood, yeah. the moodiness yeah. in it. Yeah. You know, Rosenthal, he really brought that across. Yeah. And I will give that credit to Halloween, too. He did bring that to Halloween, too. It's just not good. That's yeah, all. yeah. <laughs> what did you think about, because you were talking about the literacy ele- element of the story. What did you think about the strong comic book presence in this movie? Oh, Which you... I didn't remember until yes. I rewatched it. Now it's like, oh, my God, Terrell's in, in, the, in his cell reading comics, comics. And then Daniels hands out comics because, you know, these guys don't read above a 12th grade reading level exactly i mean a 12 year old rather i should say exactly exactly on one hand I, I'll, I'll just i'll just be frank on one hand you know i was trying to see what issue it was it was brave in the bold it was it was brave <laughs> talking about terrell the one that terrell was yeah. reading this, it was brave in the bold i, I did bold. catch that <laughs> <laughs> probably with some smooth ass jim apparel art oh, you know it was <laughs> so, I, so, I, so i knew what that was but it plays on the two things. The first thing is, is that it still plays upon that stigma of that society has that, oh, comics are really just for kids. So anyone who's reading comics really is not very literate. So this is probably the most that they can handle. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. But it also plays upon the fact that it probably is, for a lot of these guys, the most that they can handle. Right. But in an entertaining way. Right. You know what I'm with saying? With pictures to assist with the with the words and for them to kind of learn Visually, not just from reading, but yeah, exactly. Because for mm-hmm. from quite a few of them, it's probably the the first chance they've had to learn how to read. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that comic book thing, yeah, it kind of works both of those ways to me. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it, and um, you know, to be and it can be, you know, obviously in full disclosure, you know, most comics even in '83 were still only aimed at people under the age of 18. Absolutely. So between mm-hmm. 12 and 18 was the reading range and the maturity range that they were aiming for. Mm-hmm. So the fact that in, in 83, you know, there were people who were in their 20s and maybe even the mid to late 20s, not probably not in the 30s, yeah. certainly in, well into their 20s who were still reading comics. Um, I understand the fact that it was like, okay, you know, these guys, we got to start with something as, as simple. We can't start them with James Joyce and with, uh, right. you know, with, you know, <laughs> something, Oscar, Wilde. Oscar Wilde or, you know, Emily Bronte. <laughs> or, you know, we can't start them there. We got to start them, you know, yeah. start them down here. So I get that, too. <laughs> the other thing I kind of like, too, from the uh, from the movie was. Um, um, <sighs> one of the things I like about prison movies is a good escape. Mm-hmm. And. The fact that Horowitz, again, was the smartest guy there. You know, he's fixing the radios and, you know, he's doing all these things. He knows how to make a firebomb. He can read. You know, he's smart. You know, and, and the fact that he knew, okay, I can take the corrosive acid, which you think he could have done this anytime. But but here's the thing. He, he says as much when they're trying to put him in solitary. That's why he hates solitary. He's a menace, but at the same time, he can't stand to be alone. Right. He says as they're trying to put him in there, let me out of here, let me out of here. I can't stand to be alone. I can't stand to be alone. Ah! <coughs> yeah. So it's like one of those things. It's like he can't help himself by getting in trouble, 
but he doesn't want to be away from the crowd. Right. He's he's like one of those like he seeks the attention. Yeah. He, and he likes being like a like a like a guy in there in terms of I'm the guy who can fix your radio. <coughs> I'm the guy who can do this. I can get you this. I can get you that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I, that social aspect for him, as twisted as it is, that's what works for him. It gets something from yeah. it. And I think also too for his for for his purposes. He has a skill set and he has a value in, in, in prison. So he knows he's not going to be one of the ones who gets brutalized because people want him and need him for things. Mm-hmm. And so he knows I've just got to run, ride my time out. You know, for him, it would be three years because he's 15 years old. Yep. You know, and has killed three people. He's, he says, you know, I wasted the, the wrong three people at the bowling alley, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but he's just probably thinking, I'm just going to ride my time out and then, you know, it'll be what it'll be. There's no reason for me to escape. Yeah, you know? but um, but uh, yeah, you know that that whole sequence of you know the escape. I love a, an escape. I love a prison break. I love like you know like the the shootout that's described in uh, from Dust Till Dawn with you know uh, Richard Gecko and his brother. You know, uh, you know they you know shoot out and go yeah. into the courthouse and they take hostages and they get away and somehow they manage to get away and it's like. God damn. And then you read about, you know, something that happened locally here in Atlanta with Brian, Brian Nichols. Nichols. You know, it's like, damn, this is like some from dust till dawn <laughs> shit. This guy shot his way out of a federal Fulton County courthouse. federal court, a federal courthouse. Yes. God, it was on the run. It's so crazy. You bring up Brian Nichols uh, at the job I was working at. I was working at. Um, there was a Pepsi deliverer. Um, no, no, it wasn't a Pepsi deliverer. Uh, he worked for Pepsi at the time. There was like a facility behind mm-hmm. that courthouse near there downtown mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. South Marietta Street, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. And he remembers that day that that happened. He was like, man, Brian Nichols could have hijacked one of our trucks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He could have done anything. Yeah. Man. And I was scared because I was like, when this happened? Like 96, 97, somewhere in there? Brian Nichols? Yeah. No, it wasn't that long ago. You sure? I don't think it was that long ago. Are you sure? I don't think it was. That. I could have sworn it was in the nineties, like the mid nineties. Because at the time, I was, I was. I think it was in the in the two thousands, man. I right, looked that up while I keep describing it. Okay, go ahead. So yeah, so for those who aren't familiar, Brian Nichols, just real quick, Brian Nichols was on trial um, at the courthouse downtown um, here in Atlanta, and by some happenstance, unbelievably, he was a rapist too. By the way, yes, thank you. Um, and by some happenstance, he's able to get a hold of a gun from a bailiff, I think. And he was able to shoot his way out. Yeah, he. There was a female uh, federal officer who was watching him. He punches her Mm -hmm. in the face a bunch of times, and then takes her gun, goes into the courtroom, like the hallway behind where the where the judge, oh, like the chamber, and everybody comes in. He comes in behind the judge, shoots the judge, kills the judge. Yeah, shoots the court reporter, kills her, shoots somebody else, and then he makes his way out of the out of the courthouse, and he somehow. You know, manages in the chaos of everything that's going on. He gets outside, and then he encounters another deputy outside. They get into a shootout, mm-hmm. and he kills that guy. Yeah. And then he's on the run, and he leaves Atlanta, jacks a car or something, and ends up in Duluth, probably 15 minutes from where you and I live. And then he takes some some female hostage in he, her apartment. In her apartment, and they yeah. smoke meth together. Yeah. It was crazy. I was like, damn, that was crazy. <laughs> it but- was Anyway, all of that is to say that, yes, these unbelievable things happen. They do happen, yeah. You know, so when you're talking about prison breaks, I think it's part of the fact of it's unbelievable, and you almost put yourself in the sense of like, wow, damn, how could somebody really do that and make it? Right. You know, and you're almost part wanting to see how far are they going to go? Right. Are they going to make it? Right. Even, Even if they are a piece of shit? Right. You're like, damn, how far is this piece of shit going to go? But the, the thing about situations like that, and this is, we can end the tangent, but I, yeah. I, didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to derail <laughs> the conversation, good. but, yeah. you know, it just goes to show you that it's really just the perfect storm where some of these things really happen. Yeah. When you see in movies where somebody plans every possible exit, every possible uh, situation, you know, they're ready, you know, they have, a, you know, like an Ocean's Eleven or a high situation where they had every yeah. every possible nuance covered. It just never works out that way. It was just dumb luck for him. Mm-hmm. It's dumb luck, you know. It was the right circumstance, the right amount of chaos, the right amount of, you know, you know, you know, mayhem, and he just slipped through. Yeah. You know. 
You know, he just he just slipped through. It was in 2005. I just looked it up. Wow. It was in Dang, 2005. I, was, I could have sworn that was in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was in 2005. I knew it was it was since we had lived out here. Ah, okay. So that's what I was that's what I was uh, kind of banking it on. But gotcha. um, two other things I was going to mention. Right. Um, one, I really love the scene when they tell the guy comes and tells uh, Mick in his cell that Paco's transfer is coming tomorrow, so it's going down tonight. Oh no, he he tells him he says he said you got lucky. Yeah, it was it was the Asian it was mm-hmm. the Asian actor. He says you got lucky. He says he's getting transferred tomorrow. You got lucky, hmm. and then later on you see Mick burning the picture of his girlfriend yeah. JC because he knows either I'm going to kill this guy or this guy's going to kill me. But I'm never going to see JC again. Mm-hmm. That's basically what he knows, and he's burning this picture in his cell, looking at her. Yeah, it's like this is it. You know, this is it. I thought that was a you know burn, burning the epitaph or whatever. Yeah. Isn't that what it's referred to? That is actually. <laughs> That shot right there, that's what he always showed on commercials on TBS for Bad Boys. If Bad Boys was playing that night, okay. that's the one they would show. Okay. Sean Penn and Bad Boys. Okay. 7.35 p.m. only on TBS. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, but the other thing was, uh, <laughs> we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't talk about this show. But What's up? That whole kind of uh, the new fish coming into prison, getting hazed. Oh, hey. hey, hey, they're clapping and then they spit in your face and spit on you. Yeah. And then, you know, in some prison movies, you know, they would like toilet paper on fire and throw it at you. Yeah. You know, the roll. It's like. Dang. And in, the, in that situation, true to his method acting self. Here we go. Sean Penn insisted that they actually spit on him. <laughs> <laughs> He insisted that they actually hawk loogies in his face and on him. And he, uh, 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 uh. Now, Paco. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. What, what happened, Joe? Paco supposedly said, y'all need to use some mouthwash. Y'all need to brush y'all teeth. If anybody look like they got, like, like they got too much, you know, grit behind yeah. it, it's going to be something. <laughs> oh, oh man. That's too funny. Yeah. But um, I, I kind of wanted to end it, man, by, uh, of course, ranking for you. All right. Um, either we can do one of two things. Either we okay. can list our top five prison movies. And mm. I, I definitely have at least five to put on a list. Mm. Or just kind of rank bad boys amongst the greatest. Like, where do you think... Which one would you, would you rather try to do? Let's let's do the greatest because we can save the ranking for our next episode. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that it is up there, mm. definitely amongst the best. Um, I think it's you know for myself, I'm really like a, a longest yard person. Okay. Uh, I love Shawshank, of course. Mm, mm. I did rewatch Escape from Alcatraz oh, this man, morning. That is such a classic. I rewatched Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. We, can, we can discuss that in 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 the in the, in the other episode. conversation. Yeah. But um, and I really like Startup, which we talked okay. about, which is on Peacock. Yeah. By the way, anybody who's never seen Bad Boys, it's available on uh, it's streaming on Prime. Yes. You can watch it now. But I think it, it's it's really high up there. I mean, you got others, Birdman of Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Escape from Alcatraz, American Me. Oh yeah. Um, um, uh, b- blood in, blood out. Blood in, blood out. You do have Shawshank. Um, the Great Escape is kind of a yeah war and, and, prison movie. And if you're along those lines, I would say Papillon as well. Papillon. Yeah. Um, cool Hand Luke. Mm-mm. You know that mm. was the first quintessential prison movie. Mm. What we have here is a failure. To communicate. communicate. Yes. <laughs> Spend a night in the box. <laughs> you know, Paul Newman at his most beautiful and most oh, yeah. charismatic and yeah. like, you know. <laughs> but um, I think it's definitely in, in mm. up there amongst the, the really greats because it is so gritty and so seems so realistic. Yeah. Um, Penn was so committed. Um, and even though, like you said, you know, Maybe the intention wasn't to infuse like they would in modern day to give, you know, uh, to show inner life and to show a backstory. They did give you that with Paco. Yes. He cared about his brother. He cared about his mother. But, but he was for the streets. Mm-hmm. And he was. And Mick tells him when he gets in the prison, because at first you think Mick is going to be like, I want to kill this motherfucker. I want to kill this motherfucker for raping my girlfriend and punching her in the face. Yeah. And when they finally face off in the showers and he tells him, look. Paco, he says, I'm sorry about what happened to your brother. And then Paco goes, comes out of his mouth with some slick talk about, yeah, I should have finished the job with your old lady. Mm-hmm. And then he tells him, 
Yeah, I killed your little brother. Cause. But he only died because you weren't looking out for him. And he couldn't say nothing. He couldn't say anything. So we do get a sense of what's going on inside of Paco, and this is it is a little bit more about revenge. Is more uh, more about more than just revenge. Mm-hmm. It is also about him trying to maybe try to make up for what he didn't do for his own his own kid brother. Exactly, exactly. So, but where where do you where do you where do you rank it, man? Oh my goodness, I have always loved this movie, even when I was a young kid, and I didn't fully understand all of it. Mm-hmm. Until I saw like the theatrical version, mm-hmm. and once I saw the theatrical version, it was like, oh yeah, this is this is fantastic. Every time I see it, and I've seen it close to like ten or twelve times mm-hmm. now throughout my life, mm-hmm. it's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, and I'd have to rank it very very high, just like you. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, it's not quite top three because there are other movies we'll discuss that are in that realm, mm-hmm. but it is very close. It's knocking at the door. You know what I'm saying. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.